You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello, and welcome to another fabulous episode of Dear Multi-Hyphenate. I'm your host, Michael Kushner, and as always, it is such an honor to be able to talk to you about the multi-hyphenate life. Thank you, as always, to Broadway Podcast Network for this incredible opportunity to communicate with the fellow theatrical multi-hyphenates around me. I have some really incredible news. It was just announced that I will be producing, as well as director of photography, the new film, The Pink Unicorn, starring Alice Ripley. It's really exciting because I talk about how you can call upon multiple hyphens at once and for, for one project. And this is one of the instances where I'll be not only filming, but I will be producing the the project as well. And I'm really excited about that. We start filming on May 10th in New Jersey, and I will update you as the project develops. So if you want more information, follow me on Instagram at the Michael Kushner or at Dear Multi-Hyphenate. As always, just a reminder, I teach a fabulous workshop called Multi-Hype with Kimberly Faye Greenberg and Ashley Kate Adams. We are about to start our sixth, our sixth, that is magical, our sixth session as we cultivate the multi-hyphenate experience. So if you're a multi-hyphenate and you want to be better at your proficiencies and your skill sets, but you don't know where to start, contact me, message me, email me. Follow me on social media or go to multihypeworkshop.com and we'll get you signed up. And now it's time for You Got a Question? Each episode, I start with a question from an audience member. And this question is brought to us by Louisa L., who asks, How do I handle burnout? That is a really good question. And let's flip burnout on its head. I say, Anytime we're, we're given something negative in our multi-hyphenate career, like burnout or identity, you know, confusion, flip it on its head. What are the positives? Burnout is another opportunity to be able to connect with ourselves and our needs and our wants. If we are burned out, that means something happened along our journey where we became disengaged or tired. What are those things? Is it ungodly work hours? Is it uh, no, uh, the boundaries are not set? What are the things that have made you burned out? In knowing those things that made you burned out, I do believe that you can now start to work your way backwards and figure out how to infiltrate the joy back into your life. Um, I remember I was burned out uh, with theater in college, after I had gone through my uh, my review program, the review portion of my program, freshman and sophomore year, I basically had a nervous breakdown, and I didn't know anything about life anymore. It was it was the most confusing thing in the world. But something that really helped me was under just trying to understand the world around me in a new way. I was very fortunate, and I've talked about this before, to go study abroad in London, and that helped. I didn't understand things around me with this nervous breakdown I was experiencing. I, I would listen to a song and be like, what? I don't understand. I was so burned out from anything art. But when I got to London and I experienced that, the world is so much bigger than I had ever thought. It's so much bigger than me. It's so much bigger than what I do. That's when I start. I started to put into perspective my life and my relationship with the art, and I started to heal. So that's what I implore you to do, is if you're feeling burned out, what is the relationship you have to the world? What is the relationship you have to yourself? What is the relationship you have to your art? Once you start answering those questions, I think you might find a new, fresh excitement. And that was... You got a question? And if you have a question that you want answered on air, all you got to do is email me at dearmultihyphenate at gmail.com. Yes, that's dearmultihyphenate at gmail.com. So let's move on to the episode, shall we? Jen Waldman is the founder of the Jen Waldman Studio, a creative home and training studio for professional theater artists. 
On March 12, 2020, when Broadway was shut down, JWS artists were appearing in 14 Broadway shows. On April 5, 2020, JWS moved its entire operations online and is now a creative home to theater artists in 39 states and 13 countries. Jen brings her 20-plus years of Broadway experience into the world of business and served as the artistic director of the Hangar Theater and as the artistic director of Breaking Bread Theater Company. She served a five-year term as the theater chair for the National Young Arts Foundation and was awarded a proclamation from the City of New York in 2009 for her work galvanizing the Broadway community in support of marriage equality. She has directed and choreographed productions at theaters across the country. Earlier in her career, Jen worked as an actor appearing on Broadway in Titanic and Wicked, also touring the U.S. as Nessero's The Wicked Witch of the East. Jen is the co-host of the podcast, The Long and the Short of It, with Peter Shepard. If you'd like the opportunity to work with Jen, the next session of JWS Online starts May 3rd. And the next session of Preparing a Role, an intense eight-week acting program, also begins May 3rd. You can find more information on the sessions at jenwaldman.com. I'll also be posting information on Instagram at dearmultihyphenate. So it is tradition that we start every episode with Dear Multi-Hyphenate with a quote. And I might have learned to, you know, break bread to, as I said in Christine Toy Johnson's episode, to break bread to start the day, to start the moment with a quote I learned from me and Jen's alma mater, Ithaca College. So <laughs> why, why not just keep the tradition going? So this quote is, uh, in every community, there is work to be done. In every nation, there are wounds to heal. In every heart, there's the power to do it. And that is said uh, by Marianne Williamson. And I'm so, mm. so honored to welcome Jen Waldman into the Dear Multi-Hyphenate space. Welcome. Hi. Hello. Hello. Thanks for having me. How are you today? I'm actually great today. Good. I am looking out the window right now. At a beautiful, cloudless, sun-filled sky, and I can hear birds, and I saw a bunch of baby bunnies this morning, so I'm just, I'm feeling renewal and hope right now. Hop, hop, hop to renewal and <laughs> and a glorious day. We love that. Um, where are, uh, where are you recording from, if you don't mind me asking? I don't mind. <laughs> Typically, I'm in New York City, but right now I'm at my in-laws' home on the island of Nantucket off the coast of Massachusetts. I thought you were going to say something like the island of Long. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> like something like very far and distant. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I know. No, I'm on an actual island 30 miles out to sea. That's lovely. And um, that, I mean, that's, that sounds like a dream and I'm sitting in my closet right now recording. <laughs> so I am very excited to welcome you to Dear Multi-Hyphenate because you, uh, in my eyes, are one of the, one of the first people that I saw in New York City acting as a multi-hyphenate. I have, mm -hmm. I talk about two women that inspire me all the time, uh, Elena Garcia in Miami and Cynthia Henderson, who was my professor at Ithaca, mm -hmm. who I'm very much in contact with and is a guest on your multi-hyphenate. And we, we, we still chat and work together. And um, uh, with her work with Performing Arts for Social Change and as a professor and as a director and as a writer and so many different things i'm like wow you can have these different i didn't have the word at the time but the profession the proficiencies the hyphens mm -hmm. and then i met you you came to ithaca by way of mary Casaro, yes. and um you held a class with us that was like oh okay this is gonna be this is gonna be different this is gonna be uh, this feels more my speed and and right and and you came to us about twice two maybe three times and every time you came I was the I was so thrilled I knew that I was going to learn so much but then I got to watch you do not just not just come and visit I got to watch you do and establish your studio and it's the most inspiring exciting work I think that an artist is doing. 
mm-hmm. uh, today is the work that you're doing. So I just wanted to to start by saying that I find you to be an incredible inspiration to me, and I know hundreds of other people. Wow. Um, thank you so much for sharing your undergrad experience. You know, when you go back as, or when I go back as a guest artist, I don't have much interaction with the students after the fact. So to hear that what we did in those classes was meaningful to you is meaningful to me. It's extremely meaningful. And um, you also, when you were the artistic director for Hanger, mm-hmm. um, I you called me in for Spring Awakening. Yes, I remember. And it was the most transparent audition I'd ever had. It was like, why? It was literally like, why? Why isn't every room like this? I literally, it it was like, I, it it was as if I had studied uh, for four years and was able to (laughs) apply what I learned and communicate efficiently and be able to move on with my day. Like it was, it it seemed very simple. It was very interesting. Um, But I want to know what, what are your hyphens? What are your proficiencies? Hmm. It's been a long time since I've actually named these things out loud, so this will be fun. I am an acting teacher. I am an acting coach. Two different things. I love it. I am a leadership coach. I'm a podcaster. I'm a business owner. I'm a director. I'm a choreographer. I'm an actor. I'm a mom. And I think some of the other things that I do, I haven't ever actually put a label on. So, and others. Yeah. And also (laughs) there's like the whole idea of like skill versus versus proficiency. Like, I think a lot of people like to be like, I'm a a roller skater. I'm a typewriter and I'm an actor. I'm like, well, how do you like proficiencies are meant to be bigger and those are amazing things, but the skills, those, those sort of heighten the proficiencies and that's what allow you to do a proficiency in a professional element like um, Mm -hmm. Photoshop, right? Like just because I I know Photoshop does not mean that I'm a photo editor, but it does help my 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 photography proficiency exist on a sort of macro level. Um, But uh, at least that's how I look at it. And Mm -hmm. I, I saw, you know, as an actor, I saw you do the national tour of Titanic. What? Yeah. You were born? Yeah, I was seven. I was seven. Wow. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah, I said because you played the Broward Center, right? Yeah. Yeah, I was there. It Holy was, I was cow. there. Yeah, it was uh because you know we were talking I, I got my past lives read, uh my past life read this past weekend and it was an incredible experience and I'll go into that in you know in another uh episode or something or follow me on social media to learn more but um <laughs> my past life has to do with the Titanic. So at a very early age, I was very drawn to the Titanic. And of course, when it was going through the Broward Center, I was like, we, my family was like, we have to take him. So I was there. Holy cow. Yeah. That is so wild because <laughs> that actually feels like a past life. For me. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember y'all tumbling down that set. Yes. Just. <laughs> I just remember y'all tumbling down and at the end of, I mean, I, I did not get to see it on Broadway, but, um, you know, the end of act one, the beautiful starlit, mm-hmm. beautiful, um, and then the model of the ship singing and then the curtain falls. And it was like the, it was like the coolest thing for my seven-year-old who was also discovering musical theater, my love for musical theater being like, whoa, these two worlds are com- being <laughs> mashed together. And my mind is blown. And that's exactly what I want to do. Oh my gosh, that's so special. Thank you for sharing that with me. You're so welcome. I mean, you know, when people really do say like, you never know who's in the audience, like, hi, right here, <laughs> Titanic, Broward Center, National Tour, seven years old. Wow. Um, so uh, when we when we first met at Ithaca, I think one of the most inspiring things that I loved about you was your outlook of the industry and the outlook of your specific artistry and others mm-hmm. artistry. So could you share with me what your outlook to the industry is? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) 
when it's working at its best, I think of theater as really responsible and relevant storytelling with an eye on the impact that you seek to have, not only on the audience, but the audience's audience. Because they go home after the show, and if you had an impact on them, good or bad, they'll talk about it to other people. And so the ripple effect happens. So I like to think that when we are operating collectively at our best, we're really taking responsibility for the pebble that we are throwing and the ripples that occur. And that doesn't mean that everything we make has to be full of pathos and very deep. It just means that we need to hold ourselves accountable for responsible and relevant storytelling. Beautiful. I love the idea of responsible um, storytelling. So what to you, are there examples of a moment that you've um, experienced responsible storytelling as both um, an, a, an artist or an audience member? Or have you um, seen a student engage in responsible storytelling? Because that is such a specific thing. I, and I don't want to knock anyone's career that is like, you're going to go to um, you know, porta potty players production of the Wizard of Oz. Like that's like that's like <laughs> that's cool. We love that. But um there are moments of socially responsible and responsible artistry. So what to you is is that? Okay. So I'll try to pull from some really recent examples. As recent as you can get with a one-year pause in the middle, right? Yeah. I try to, whenever I go see a, a show in New York, if there is the opportunity to go on a talkback day, that's when I'll go. So I like to hear either cast members or creative team members discussing the impact they were seeking to have and then the impact that they actually had. So I'm thinking of a very, it's burned into my memory. I went to see the wrong man at MCC and went to the talk back after for, for those of you who missed that show, you can do a quick Google to see what I'm talking about. And there was an incredible moderator facilitating a talk back after during which we audience members were asked to express our take on the show, what we thought it was about. And I saw Joshua Henry in the main role. And then the facilitator said, we were all talking about, oh, this is a, a show about race. This is a show about the prison system. This is a show about injustice and seeking justice. And then she said, did you know that Josh's understudy is not a black man? And we were like, what? Wow. And then she said, so now can you call yourself in for your biases? Wow. I mean, woof. That to me was like, okay, if you went and you saw the show, you would take away something. And then if you get to go to the talk back, which of course not everybody does, you're unpacking the story as a community calling yourself in for how you chose to see the show. So that was like a, it was almost like a circular experience where you're taking something in and you're putting something out and then you get to take something else in. Now, not every show can be set up like that, of course, mm -hmm. but to me, that was a, an example of very res responsible storytelling, not only taking responsibility for the story that was coming off the stage, but then asking the audience to accept responsibility for what they saw. And that would just blew my mind. That's incredible. So uh, now that we're in this shakeup of uh, what the industry looks like regarding the pandemic um, and also what we're sort of experiencing with uh, the union and abusive power of producers. There's so many different things that are happening right now. Mm -hmm. But art is still being produced and it we need it just yes. as much just as much as we are uh, confused about what tomorrow is going to look like. That's when art is the most important. And it's mm -hmm. funny to me to see that 
it's the art is still being produced when our industry is such in in, in such a um unsure place when there's so many questions uh but what do you think will art uh need in response to this pandemic like we're seeing we're seeing virtual theater happen we're seeing um mm -hmm. Uh, socially distant theater happening and you know uh in central park all these different uh experiences we're we're making it happen is that a talk back is something that should be required of virtual theater where there's always going to be an element of engaging with the audience in that way uh how can we continue to produce responsible artistry from today on mm. Oh my gosh. I mean, this is such a huge, epic huge. question. Yeah. You know, just pulling on the thread of the talk back for a second, you know, that's a very deliberate way to engage an audience. And the audience has to willingly participate in that. But there are other ways to engage an audience where the audience doesn't even know they're engaging, but we, the storytellers, have to know that they're engaging, starting with the way things are marketed, the mm -hmm. way things are explained. What is the experience of arriving at the theater? Are you welcomed in? Are you ignored? I mean, all of these things have storytelling value. So we have to, of course, deal with the very obvious elements of storytelling. But I think the more impactful theater considers the part that the audience doesn't even know they are engaging with, but we know. It's like the Haunted Mansion ride in Disney, right? Like, <laughs> like everyone in Disney is so cheery and amazing and, you know, it's the best day ever. But then when you get to the Haunted Mansion and you're boarding the <laughs> ride, you're boarding the ride and the cast members don't look at you. That's and right. They, you know, they don't look at you. They're just sort of walking with this like, you know, and this is very layman's terms of what it could be. And then. When I studied abroad in London, which Ithaca allowed allowed us to do, and it was one of the best moments of my life, mm -hmm. um, was uh, I we I saw a production of Pippin at the Many a Chocolate Factory, and what they it's a very shoebox of a theater, it's ninety nine seats, but when you walked in, uh, Pippin was sitting at his computer desk, stoned out of his mind, <laughs> playing a video game, playing a video game, and then when you walk into the theater there was no set it was just like like um slats of plastic and then when you hear you know when you hear the opening um <laughs> the bleeding player it's it like the projection happened and it was like player one and then he came out of the blinds so that moment it was epic and so that moment of that moment before of how we came into the theater affected what we would be seeing the rest of the performance Yes, which is why the current experience of entering into a theater in New York City is so <laughs> weird because the the people checking your bags are pretty curt with you. If you decide you're going to use the loo before the show, people are yelling at you to get to your seats. It's like, how is this helping this experience? Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, the stakes could not be higher. And like, <laughs> and I'm trying to think of a show like Come From Away, which is, you know, about camaraderie and finding mm -hmm. home and, and all that stuff. Uh, I as as I've been backstage many times to photograph backstage, uh, that th that environment backstage is one of the healthiest, be most beautiful, um, family oriented environments I've ever experienced, and it can yeah. it can bring tears to my eyes. And I think that it does radiate into the house. But there are ex there are other experiences where I'm just like this is this is straight laced we are going to sit and we are going to uh listen and we are going to go home after <laughs> yeah you know what you just said made me think of titanic actually because our cast was very much like that too super family we were like so in love with each other and i think there's something very special about playing a person who you know actually walked the face of the earth Wow. 
how um how did uh what was that process like for you because obviously titanic came before wicked so we we can Mm -hmm. you know there are two very different experiences you know (laughs) yes you know nessa and uh and and you were a you were a uh, kate right yeah well i played almost everyone in titanic at some point amazing um i I was a multi-hyphenate there yes we love and well that's the thing it's like uh what was were you a standby were you swing were you well i started as a swing Hmm. in in the broadway company then i was an on-stage swing so i had my own track plus i understudied uh everyone except two of the female tracks and then when i went on the road i was the dance captain Right. I need a, I should look at my playbill and see um, maybe there's a slip in there that you, you were on. <laughs> but uh, it's so it's sort of interesting. And this might get me a lot of pushback. But I think, of course, actors should be multi, multi-hyphenates, especially mm-hmm. today, now and today, because um, the reason why I talk about the multi-hyphenate life is because it saved my life during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. I was able to call on those things and yeah. garner and in, garner an in income and also uh, further my career um, based on what the way that I sort of live my life as a multi-hyphenate but this might get a lot of pushback and and this is why it's art is so that we can all you know agree disagree and agree and talk about it but if someone is leading a musical I don't think that calls on any multi-hyphenate skills but if you're a swing um or a dance captain or someone that does just because it it's um it's more calls upon time management skills it talks about sort of being your own producer and um uh you, uh you know there's a uh i'm just riffing here but there's like a uh stage management quality mm-hmm. to yourself especially as a dance captain when you're uh giving notes to people to actors i think like we can all be in a show together but the multi-hyphenate experience differs based on i don't know how you feel about that but Yes, I <laughs> I feel a lot of things about this. I mean, first of all, just to your initial point, yes, artists, actors, however people want to define themselves, the multi-hyphenate potential is there for everyone. Sure. And it is infuriating to me the way our industry has tried to dissuade people from having multiple pursuits. So, I mean, I could go down the rabbit hole. But in terms of dance captain, what's funny about Titanic is there I was the dance captain of a show that didn't really have any dance in it. So my role was really more of like, I wasn't the director, I was interpreting the director's Mm. work there. That was at a time before there were really like, associates and residents and all of that. I mean, it was really Mm -hmm. the stage manager and the dance captain we worked together to put people into the show. There was not another person who came in to put people into our production. So I really had to understand the full big picture and everyone's independent roles within the big picture in order to make up the whole. And thank goodness for Mary Corsaro, who you mentioned earlier, who without her, I would have not had any of the skill set that I actually needed to be mm-hmm. able to do that work. But yes, I mean, you're you're essentially direct serving as a director's liaison, serving as a choreographer's liaison, and also managing a lot of personalities. I mean, Titanic was a huge cast. There were 43 of us, I think. Wow. I mean, you just don't even see casts that size anymore. I think it was 37 people on stage and then six offstage swings, I think. Uh, don't quote me on that. I might be off by one or two. <laughs> but it was it was a very large responsibility. And I was very young at the time. So I was, <laughs> I was learning a lot. But when I have been involved in shows as an actor, maybe it's my own background. I started as a dancer, then I became a singer, then I became an actor. So I've always sort of viewed my musical theater acting experience as multi-hyphenate, maybe because I had to learn the principal skill of acting last and figure out how to incorporate it with the others. I don't know. That's cool. No, I love that. I I think that the multi-hyphenate experience is based on 
there is no one way. That's why I started a podcast is that I could talk to people's talk to different people's experiences and go, I, you know, I've had I've had guests on this on this podcast where they don't they don't see themselves as multi hyphenate, but I do. Yeah. And sort of yeah. explaining and, and breaking down like why it's OK. But ultimately what you're saying is and I do actually want to go down the rabbit hole is the way that the industry has sort of said, you have to do one thing. We only see you as one thing. And that's going to be the easiest for us. Like, uh, what are what are I do want you to go down the rabbit hole? Because I think that's a really, really important um, uh, point of view is that it, do, it doesn't matter how the industry sees us. If we have the opportunity to be able to tell a to tell our stories through different proficiencies why not? So what what are some of your thoughts on the industry and how they treat multi-hyphenates? Yeah. Okay. So my take on this is that I don't think the people who say you can only do one thing actually like in their heart of heart, heart of hearts, believe it. I think it is a way to uphold the oppressive systems and structures that we have in place. There is this quote by Upton Sinclair that I repeat a lot in my studio that continues to haunt my dreams, which is, <laughs> it is difficult to get a man to understand something when his salary depends on him not understanding it. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> so dropping that mic, Upton Sinclair. Um the way our industry is currently structured, we do what we can. And I I don't want to include myself in this we. I'm talking about the general we. The do general what we. we can to keep actors, quote, in their place so they don't have the knowledge that they need to move forward, the conversations that they need to move forward, the agency that they need to move forward. So by saying to someone, if you do more than act, you're not a real actor, you prohibit them from learning about the world around them, which keeps them, quote, in their place. So I think ultimately it's all about <laughs> oppression. Which seems to be a uh, pattern that we've been um you know, uh, discovering as of late. And that is, I mean, that is so uh, beautifully said. I cannot agree more, more with that. And the, the amount of times that I, I started this multi-hyphenate journey because I had someone, when I had a camera in my hand, look at me up and down, someone that I've known a long time, look at me <laughs> up and down and go, you're doing this now. Ooh. Yeah, shade. And I wanted to I I wanted to cry in that moment, but then I was like, why am why do I want to cry? Why couldn't I have just been like, this is one way I get to tell stories. How lucky am I? Yeah. And but I didn't. And then I was like, I think I should do some soul searching and figure out why I didn't immediately say that. Mm -hmm. Um, but I was younger, you know, things things I I didn't have no, no one was talking about this experience yet. So if I had had someone to sort of say that to me, maybe things would be better. But um, I also am very proud to be a performer. So in that moment, I was it was seeing it being seen as something else was almost like um, it was a failure at, the, yeah. at that time, at that time. But um, you're talking about agency and I want to get into agency because I think that's really, really important. You are someone that has the most agency <laughs> ever since I met you. I mean, I've you have designed it that way. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Jen Waldman. And so my, I want to start with, with talking about the Jen Waldman studio. Mm -hmm. So what is Jen Waldman studio? What is it? Well, if you had asked me a year ago, I would have had a different answer. But today, it is a creative home for a global cohort of theater artists who have committed themselves to excellence within their artistry and possibility for the future. So for those of you that are listening, the why statement that I talk about all the time, that is a clear, concise one that will perpetuate every single uh, decision that Jen is probably going to make in the yep. future. 
Yes. And it's, you know, what's really interesting is the reason I feel like I have to keep reminding myself the way I would have answered this is not the way I will answer it now Mm -hmm. is because we've changed. We've Mm -hmm. changed so much in the last year. And instead of regurgitating what I had already known to be true, I'm having to figure out how to talk about what I'm learning to be true about our community of artists. You know, a year ago, we were limited to people who could get themselves to 38th Street in New York City. And this, in the last 12 months, I just had to quantify this for a project. We have served theater artists in 39 states and 13 countries. That's That can't be about 38th Street anymore. It can't be Broadway-centric anymore. Wow. Like, our, we are evolving. Yes. That's... That's really, really incredible. And, you know, change is really important. And and I'm working on a project and, and I actually was talking about change. Um, and Cynthia Henderson, who I was mentioning before, I was talking with her about change and I got a quote and we were talking about the why and how it can be scary when things happen. But that's the whole point of it is that mm-hmm. so we can evolve. Our why isn't going to stick with us throughout our whole lives. It's based on who we become and who we respond, uh, how we respond to the world around us. So she said, you know, it's OK that the why changes because people evolve. What's some, you know, and she asked, what's something that you hate but now you like you know when that happens the why no longer works for you and there's nothing wrong with your process you just have to have room to evolve as you discover who this new person is and i found that to be really um Mm. really i responded viscerally to that because what once was you know mikey kushner the actor the musical theater actor who had been in the industry for a long time as a child actor became michael kushner the multi-hyphenate who now produces non-quotidian artistry to benefit the world around him so mm-hmm. you know there's a there's a shift a a, a a a cellular shift that has to happen with artists and i think that's what happened with jen waldman studio if i'm not yeah you know. that's it's so interesting to hear you talk about that because I don't know if maybe you knew this about me, maybe not. So one of my hyphens is I do some work with Simon Sinek, who, for those of you who don't know his work, was originally came on to the thought leadership scene with his viral TED talk about the power of starting with why. Mm-hmm. And you know, wrote the book, Start With Why, Find Your Why, and a, a bunch of other really excellent books since then. But what I hear you talking about is an evolving an evolving set of what's, all of the hyphens, and that the, at the center of it all is the why, the purpose, the cause, the belief, the reason you get out of bed in the morning, as Simon says. That's fun to say, as Simon says, Simon and the reason says. anyone should care, right? Yeah. Um, but my why journey, naming my why for the first time, which was almost wow, almost 10 years ago, my relationship to the language keeps changing because it's really hard to express in words why you do what you do. (laughs) Yeah. And it's funny in my own journey, I started with the most poetic form I could come up with, like the most beautiful language. And now I just try to make it clear to myself (laughs) so that I can actually measure if I'm doing it. Like, am I actually living my why when it was so lyrical and poetic? I couldn't really put my finger on whether or not I was doing a great job living it out. So I've been trying to simplify the language, but my what's are just constantly evolving. When I work with colleges and when I work with high school students um, and I do an exercise based on why, what I like to do is I like to have a, a uh, fearless leader talk about themselves for two minutes on a timer, stream of conscious, no judgment, just talking. And then I have someone else repeat it. Mm -hmm. And then I go, okay, what are the common denominators? What are the things that kept showing up? Now I want you to do it again with one minute on the timer. And this time I want you to add why you're feeling those things, why you think you might have said those things, just constantly why asking and elaborate. Then we break it down from one minute to 30 seconds to 15 seconds to five seconds, ultimately coming up hopefully with 
one through line, one mm-hmm. idea might not be the one that someone is going to lead through the world with, but it's at least one idea combining, narrowing down as if it's a, you know, a, a, a pressurized piece of coal that's going to become a diamond mm-hmm. uh, to at least have an idea of why maybe they said all of those things. So then they can continue on and do the work for them. So mm, I love that. It's fun. It's really fun to see. It's really, really fun to see um, youngsters sort of take hold of that. <laughs> so, um, so okay. So, Jen Waldman Studio, that's incredible. So, as a multi-hyphenate, did you rely on your own agency to to found Jen Waldman Studio and and to create outreach? How did sort of Jen Waldman's agency creep in? when this was all being established? Okay. Well, I started the studio by accident, really. I had no intention of going in this direction at all. I had, in the very early days, I had just finished directing two productions pretty much back-to-back, and in some cases with um, overlapping actors, and just wanted to keep working with the people that I had just worked with, we had a very meaningful experience together. And so I was like, why don't I host a, you know, a work session on Monday nights? And that's really how that started is I would facilitate, I wouldn't even say teach at that point. I was really just facilitating opportunities for actors to get in the room and kind of make a mess. And the thing that I was recognizing in those early days was that I was, or really we, we were creating the kind of space that I actually needed in my own pursuits as an actor, I hadn't ever found a space as a musical theater person where I could go and be messy. I had only been in places where I had to be perfect and polished and shiny and then adjust myself to someone else's aesthetic preferences. Like which, pay to, like pay to plays, uh, like sort of like moments like that. Or like, you know, pay to plays weren't really a thing back when I was coming up. Um, But there were, you know, places to go to song interpretation class Mm -hmm. or like acting the song. And there was literally no technique being taught. It was just, you know, I kind of like it better this way. (laughs) And like, okay, so, so (laughs) you like it better that way. What does that have to do with anything? That's not how I'm going to do it just because you like it. If you can rely on some technical adjustment, I'll take a technical adjustment, but in a, in a class, just because you like prefer this, that's not really helpful to me. So we were creating the space we all needed And then what ended up happening was those people told their friends and those people told their friends. And then before I knew it, what started as a once a week thing was every single day and we had a wait list. And then finally I had to really make a decision. Am I going to go all in on this? And so at the end of 2006, at the end of my Nessa contract, I decided I was not going to renew and I was going to leap Yes. Into the unknown. Leap and the net will appear. <laughs> and it sure did. So um, uh, I, I think that's that's absolutely fabulous. And I sort of, you know, I shoot headshots in that um, frame of mind. Like, um, for instance, you know, I, the casting director, producer, director, whoever's behind the table just going like, I like, I like it this way and is that going to be reflective of how the artist does something i try to put that in headshots because like i i do think yes there needs to be an aesthetic that is um that is going to help the casting director or producer director whoever is behind the table but how we get to that aesthetic is what is is the fun is the creativity is the ownership of the essence of the actor when you come into the studio i have all these questions that you answer beforehand so i know how to paint, help you paint your picture and it's very it's sometimes it's subtle things sometimes it's really bold wowy amazing things but um whatever it is my hope is that the journey of the artist 
like you were talking about, well, training for musical theater in these in these situations translates in the headshot. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I completely agree with you with that because it shouldn't be done one way just because the person, the oppressive person behind the table says it should be done that way. It needs to be done the way that the actor can inform the moment themselves openly and honestly. Yes. Well, this goes back to what you were saying earlier about your photography being a a storytelling art that the headshot has to tell a story. And if the actor inside the headshot does not feel that that is the actual story they want to tell, the unfortunate result of that is they get picked up for auditions for the kinds of characters they don't want to play and the stories they don't want to tell because their headshot helped people to assume that's where they wanted to go. So I think it's critical that an artist is able to express, and it's not an easy thing to do. I'll just say that out loud, that it takes time to actually be able to crystallize your thoughts into something cohesive that you can share. But to be able to say, this is the kind of work I want to do. These are the collaborators I want to do it with. This is the style or the genre or the aesthetic that I want to pour myself into that I'm willing to make sacrifices for, as opposed to you tell me who I am. You tell me what I can do. That's a that's a problem lurking right around the corner. And I have a lot of clients. Uh, I love my clients, but I do have a lot of clients that really rely on me to make the decisions for them. And when I sort of give them the power to create, and I, it's interesting, you know, uh, uh, some clients can't even answer the question of like, what TV shows do you see yourself in? A very simple mm-hmm. question. And sometimes that can't be answered. And um, that, uh, it, 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 uh, it affects me because I'm like, right now you're spending, you know, hundreds of dollars for these photos. You just bought a coloring book, right? Yeah. And you, um, your plan is to have this coloring book filled in by the end of the day. You get home, you set up your environment, you're ready to go. And then you just realize that you didn't have, you don't have any crayons or markers. It's sort of that. Yeah. Uh, and it hurts. It hurts to watch. So I'm asking to please color in the picture, paint the picture. You have the agency to do that. You have the agency to be able to make those decisions. And in something as small or as big, however you view the headshot, as the headshot all the way into the audition. Yes. I mean, <laughs> I lovingly call bullshit on all of your clients who say that they don't know. They do know. They they might not know to the depths of their soul, but they know enough that they know they need a headshot for it. <laughs> yes, truth, truth. <laughs> so, I, you know, why is it a, why is it so scary to say it out loud because once you've said it, now you're on the hook for it. Now yeah. there is the possibility that someone who has the capacity to say, yes, we also see you in this way. Well, that means they also have the capacity to say, no, I don't see you in that way. And that's that's a lot more painful than just floundering in the I don't know. So I think you know it takes a lot of courage to push that aside and say, I have to declare where I am headed. Mm-hmm. I'll stay open to other things coming in and changing course. But I have to declare this is where North is and that's where I'm going. And there's no wrong answer as long as there's an answer. Like, Right, right. If, if I, have, I have clients that come in and they're like, I just want a Disney cruise. That's all I want out of today. I want headshots that say Disney cruise. That's what I want to do for the next two or three years. I'm like, great, let's do it. Let's do it. Yep. That gives me something. We're going to play with that. And then I go, how tall are you? Okay, so you're sort of like, the uh you're the mary poppins you're the um the fairy godmother track on the cruise correct so that's you based on height like great i will give you those headshots makes me excited it's a communication it's a it's a it's a uh it's just how we can talk it's a language and that's when i get excited because i 
And I think it just that bleeds into every single thing that we do Mm -hmm. in this industry. So unfortunately, we have to wrap. But I do want to just say, you know, on your website, it says we believe in the whole person, not just the part that exists in a theater. So -hmm. that being said, we tapped on this a little bit. But what can we expect from the Jen Waldman studio, from Jed Waldman, from her students, from the incredible ensemble that you built? What can we expect in 2021 and onwards? Ooh, I love this question. Right now, we are at the, we're nearing the end of the very first round of a fellowship that we created in 2020. And so our graduating fellows who will be graduating in the next couple months from that program are going right now, they're teaching a class called creating intersectional theater. So our studio community is rallying around that concept. And then those fellows with our support will start building out some public facing creative projects. So this idea that we want well-rounded whole artists is really coming to fruition in that whereas before we were solely teaching acting we're now teaching directing playwriting actually one of the one of the playwrights from our most recent class just was commissioned for two new plays i mean this is freaking amazing Muscle. so yes it, it feels like a huge mazel uh so we're trying to help people explore their multi-hyphenate potential within the theatrical or artistic context and then support them in going out and spreading their wings and flying. So I think where people can expect the studio to go is more interdisciplinary work and more opportunity to try new things. You heard it here first, try new things. And I think that's, that's the time that we're living in is to just try new things and leap and the net will appear it's you are listening to a guest today that is one of the leaders of our industry she did it she leapt and the paper trail of the incredible things that jen waldman has achieved and has done to inspire generations of artists to come is um it's undeniable so please get behind jen waldman please get behind the jen waldman studio where can we follow find you on social media i'm at jen waldman on all the platforms perfect so if you're not following follow jen and if you're not following me on instagram or tiktok or whatever i'm at the michael kushner and there's lots more goodies lots more nuggets to follow Jen Waldman, you are the absolute best. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. This was a real treat. This was a real treat. And thank you to Broadway Podcast Network, as always. Thank you to Patrick, who is engineering this episode. Thanks to Alan, Britt, Dory, Katie, Yo. You're all amazing. Thanks for listening. And I hope you have a great day. Bye. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.